0: Thank you, choir. Again, let us pray. Oh, gracious God, this morning we ask that you would gift us with your spirit so that we can again be reminded of you as God the Father, who is also almighty, but who comes down to us and lets us understand you in many ways, including as the creator of heaven and earth. And so God, our creator, as we acknowledge our creation, Help us to appreciate that it is from you that we live and move and have our being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, this morning, since it is creation, creator of heaven or Sunday, we're going to read from the book of Romans. A couple of different passages in the first couple chapters. So, if you want to follow along, we begin on page 152 of your New Testament but it's Romans 1, starting at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then we go into chapter 2 then, as Paul goes on kind of a, a rabbit trail, down a different part of his argument. But we pick up at chapter 2, starting at verse 14. When Gentiles, who do not possess the law, do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accursed or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God through Jesus Christ Will judge the secret thoughts of all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. So this morning I'm going to start in maybe a bit of an odd place. Uh, I want to talk about the upcoming Bible study that we're going to do on this thing called the Enneagram. It's basically a study of personality types. You've heard Myers-Briggs and that kind of stuff in the past. This one is different than that. There's nine, which is how you get an Enneagram. That's a I don't mean nine but it's nine different personality types and here's an insight about me that I've learned from it so you get a taste of the kind of conversation we would have around this. Did you know about me that when I walk into a room, including rooms like this one, I am preparing to become exhausted? Did you know that about me? That you, sometimes I just label it as being an introvert, but here's what it really means. When I walk into a room, And the more people there are the more i feel this way i am preparing to be exhausted because what i do when i walk in the room is i'm watching i'm observing everything every one of my senses is in the room trying to take stock of who's there right and they may sound like i'm treating everybody else in the world like a bunch of zoo animals but that is not what that is the reason that i do that is because I want to empathetically find you. Mm. Empathy is that ability to recognize someone else's way of feeling and being in the world, their experiences, and you've had your own that are like it. You connect with people through empathy. And so when I walk into a room, I'm prepared to be exhausted because the more people there are, the more people I'm trying to connect with by finding those little things you're doing, the body language and the words you say, I'm on and I'm paying attention to the point where when I go home after church every week, what do I do? I take a nap. If I could offer you anything as we begin the idea of talking about God as creator, it would again be the lesson of accept the fact that it will make you tired, but empathetic, connection-making is a Christian virtue. There are lots of people in the world, the Enneagram says there's at least eight other kinds, and some of them, very specifically, will do an opposite kind of thing when they walk into a room. They will not try to connect, they will not try to understand you on an emotional, empathetic level. They will listen to your words so they can gain ammo, so they can weaponize the thing that you just said, or the way that you just acted. So they can define the room as those who are with me and those who are against me, those who are right and those who are wrong. That kind of way of being is another thing that's on the Enneagram, but I've said as we started the Apostles' Creed, please don't hold the confession like that. When we stand within our tradition and we stand up and we say the Apostles' Creed or the Belgic Confession, don't hold those words as an opportunity to weaponize your faith against anybody else. And it's really important when we get to creator of heaven and earth, and you recognize just how many people in this room, I can empathetically tell you, have the battle scars of having fought over the idea of a creator of heaven and earth. How many of you walk around with scars, if not open wounds, About that idea how much it is important to us to remember our virtue is to lay down the weapons what am I talking about well again guess what for this week I'm going to talk about my biology class because like I said to you last week I'm starting this biology class and I'm the minister I'm the Christian I'm a little uncomfortable walking into the room not because I'm afraid to learn but because that is what has been in the past hasn't it between Christians and and biologists, or Christians and scientists, the weaponizing of their beliefs and their ideas. Not the idea that there are many ways to slice the pie of truth, but the idea that one must be right and one must be wrong. So I walked into that room, but again, remember, I don't try to avoid the weaponizing. Christians, science, Instead, what I'm always doing is I'm trying to empathetically connect with people in the room. So I want to tell you that story. In the few weeks that I've been in biology class, I have watched, carefully, observed, to try and make the connection with two men who are the professors of biology. And I think I've done it. Because as I've sat there and listened to them teach, like empathy, I've realized we are creatures that have more in common than are different. I watch two men walk into a room who have a passion for their area of study to the point where They are the ones who are put in front of the room to talk And I watch them because I can see all that passion being inside them for the area of their study And they want to teach it and I can also see them restraining themselves Because they know like I know that there are some rooms where people walk in And the thing is, they have never cared about the thing that you are passionate about. And they will walk out of that room not caring. I look at these two men and I go, boy, they're both a couple of big old nerds. And so am I. Empathetically, I get both the passion and the reservation, the feeling of getting burned, because there are people in the room who just will never care. They're there only because they have to be. So that is my connection. I walk in with a bunch of 18-year-olds who, uh, some of them, are there because they have to be and they don't want to be. And I can see the reaction in the professors of trying to deal with that. When Paul writes in Romans and understand that he has a kind of situation here. He is the one who has a passion for something and has been put in the front of the room over and over again. To be the one that teaches, he has that passion. And he is looking out at a room of people, some of which have weaponized their beliefs already against each other in Rome. Some of which do not care. So let me explain what's happening in Rome. Paul has not been there yet. But he's heard about it, And so what he wants to do is he passionately wants to explain his belief in Jesus Christ and why he is a Christian now to a church, a fledgling church, that's trying to understand it for themselves. But, like, all over the New Testament, he's got people who were Jewish people who have a background in that, and he has Gentile people who have a background in being Gentile. And he's going to talk about those two groups because some of them in that church have weaponized their history against each other. You have a Jewish community, some of them, in that building, who are going, you know, there is a bunch of laws that God really cares about, and you need to care about them too. And then there's some Gentiles who go, wait a sec! I showed up here because I was told this was going to be about freedom. I don't want to own all your baggage, or your God's baggage. I want to hear about Jesus and the freedom that he offers. And so Paul's writing into that, the beginning of the weaponization, and the people who don't care. And he points at them more than just his ideas. He points at this general idea. Right? He's building a whole theology here in the presence of this. And he says, you all know something about God. And you need to empathetically get that. You all know something about God. The Jewish people, they have special revelations they have had the law they know it because they were taught it in their temples in their synagogues in their families they have this special knowledge of God but if you were listening to where he started off he also said hey you Gentiles who somehow managed to follow the law even though you've never heard it before you don't commit adultery you don't kill people you don't steal you don't lie guess what? You know God, too. Not as specifically, because you don't know the specific law of God, but you learned about God and where did you learn about God? The world, right? Your observations of the world and how you should live in it, you already know that, and you've already met God. And you two groups, showing up in the same room together, you have to stop weaponizing your past, and you have to stop pretending that the other person's concern about what they know about God doesn't matter and you need to meet in the middle where it is a thing you have in common your faith in Jesus Christ you get that's what he's doing he's challenging the Roman Church to understand the categories that everybody in that room already knows God and by the way that's what exactly what the Belgian Confession goes to right when we read that we know God by two different books one is this book, The Special Revelation of God. The other one, the first one it mentions, is the book of nature. That every time you've stepped outside and you've taken a science class or a biology class and you've understand things that you can observe and then trying to explain them again, you guys know God from that. Neither one, by the way, is wrong. Neither one of them trumps the other. They are there to illumine each other. Paul, who is passionate about God, recognizes so are a bunch of other people passionate about the God they have already met. And he's like, stop trying to argue over how you slice the pie and recognize that you all love pie. This morning, that as we sort of try and translate the experience of the Roman Church, Gentiles and Jews and law and all that stuff, is not exactly the way that the kind of wounds that we live with anymore, are they? But the wounds that all of us carry, or the scars that we all carry, because we have had Christians in our lives who have weaponized Genesis 1. And we have had others like science teachers and people we revere who have been in that field of general revelation who have gone are you kidding me and we walk around with the stars and being the ones who go am I supposed to choose sides in a fight we all in a modern sense walk into this one and so When we confess creator of heaven and earth, it is not just a throwaway line about God Almighty. It is actually a thing that actually is going to matter to all of us and to your kids. When you send them off to school and you send them off to their science class and they hear the word evolution or they hear the word creationism, They hear intelligent design and they hear people contradict it and argue against it and go back and forth. It will matter that you stand in a place and say, I believe in God, who is the creator of heaven and earth. But do not forget the guidance of the Apostle Paul and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who gave us this as the special revelation of God, which is set down your weapons. You all You all already know God in different ways, but you know God. So there's a song that kind of comes to my mind when I actually think about this ongoing thing. Here's how it goes. It's called The Hand of God. I cry for hope. I long for peace. To fill the void of reason that my heart can only see. Before I read the rest of it, let me just pause there and say I love that line because so often we think it's about reason as if it's a matter of our head, what ideas are correct. And the song goes, no, we're fighting about the reason that only our hearts can see. Now we're getting closer to something that is not just about who's got the right facts, but about who is speaking into something deeper than that. Okay, so I cry for hope, I long for peace, I fill the void of reason that my heart can only see. There is a pull, there is a need. I see in part, I search for more. I long to know the mysteries of why and who we are, of what has been and what's in store. But the hand of God is all that we are seeking. It burns within my soul to know what lies beyond in the hand of God, constantly it reaches to take us to the place, the place we all belong. Now look, when you hear that chorus, that's the chorus right there about the hand of God. No, there's a bunch of people in your life, and there's a bunch of people in the world who are not going to say that that is what is inside them that they want. Is the hand of God. They would not use that vocabulary. They would not slice the pie, that way. And then you get to this kind of one line that over, kind of the, that, that line that's after the chorus, that's kind of the big booming moment, big moment at the end of the song. And it says, We are destined for the, from the day that we are born to yearn for something more. And the theologian in the room goes, Yes. We are destined from the day to yearn for something more. And the scientists in their rooms goes, yes, passionately, I have yearned for the day to know something more. And the artist, and the poet, and the businessman, and the farmer, and everybody, the man who wants to become a father, the woman who wants to win the gold, they all can say, yes, I've been destined since the day I was born to yearn for something more. No, they did not say that that's the hand of God, but listen for what the yes is. They said, yes, I want life. Yes, I have a destiny. There is something other and sacred that I still cannot explain what it is, but there is more that I want. And Paul goes, don't you get it yet? That means every one of you have met God. Because you yearn as, a cre- as something, someone who has been created to understand what you have been created for. And as Christians, we say, then meet your creator. But we are not each other's enemies, we have more in common than we than we realize. Do you realize that uh, I grew up with this line coming from from my own faith tradition that said, "Faith seeks understanding. It doesn't reject understanding. It doesn't blink and run away from it when you disagree with what you thought you already knew." You live in the act of faith-seeking understanding. And by the way, that came from a middle-age theologian named Absalom. Faith seeks understanding. I also grew up as a Reformed Christian, and that wasn't just a set of Reformed confessions and beliefs as if we've got it all figured out. The actual idea was you're Reformed and you're always reforming because guess what? You don't have it all figured out yet. And the scientist shows up in the world and says, I can't prove anything because I don't have it all figured out yet. And we are all sharing the philosophical base of humility as we try to understand both books God has given us. We have more in common than we have apart. Stop making each other enemies. Stop picking up your weapons and creating more scars. It's not always that you're going to find that the things are, you know, easy or that we always agree with each other. It was science that told us that our earth was not at the center of the universe and it scandalized Christians to find that out. We, as Christians, were scandalized when we found out that the sun was not the center of the universe. And we're still standing, aren't we? So when you stand right here, right now, in this moment, and science goes, no, creation did not take seven days, and there's this thing called evolution, you have a choice to make, to continue to be scandalized, or to recognize that there's still a space where you could still be standing. You know, if you're ever going to get your dander up, don't get it up at the people who philosophically are coming at the world with passion and humility to try and understand. They are your friends. If you want to get your dander up at anybody, get your dander up at the people who use the word just. And I don't mean just as in the word justice, but I mean people who say things like, it's just business. Tell that to the person who just got laid off when the business, the just business, to decide to downsize. Tell that to the small business owner who is losing their business because of the big corporation. Uh, tell that to the person in a third world country who is living in poverty making our clothes for us. Tell that to the corporate executive who's making decisions and knows that they are actually are not monsters even though that's what they get labeled it's not just business for any of them so it's just business that's like saying that mountain is just a pile of rocks ask the geologist about the, the the shift in the earth's crust that creates mountains and ask them is it just a pile of rocks ask the poet who wisely understands the metaphor To say to somebody, climb a mountain means do something that you think is impossible and then find out just how strong you really are when you achieve it. And ask them, is it just a pile of rocks? And ask the theologian who knows that it was Moses who met God on a mountaintop and it was the disciples who met Jesus transfigured as God on a mountaintop. Ask the theologian who knows That the space between heaven and earth is thinnest on a mountaintop. That it's just a pile of rocks. Ask any Christian who knows that you go up to a mountain to pray because in the awe of something so big and beyond you, you recognize how small and fragile you are and then you end up being grateful for God for that knowledge. And ask them, when you went up the mountain, Was it just a pile of rocks? The other one that really drives me crazy this day is the idea that food is just fuel. Heard that one? Treat food like it's just fuel. Come on. Food is just fuel? Go ask those ancient people who were inspired to write the first words of this book if they thought food was just fuel. What it took to get food. They understood that food was not just fuel, it was life and death. And go ask a scientist about food as just fuel and listen to them talk again about how something living has to be broken down. In other words, it has to die for something else to get life. And then go talk to another theologian about that table and about naming the one who had to die so that someone else could have life. And then you will realize food is not just fuel. We have more in common with the biologists and the artists and the poets and the philosophers. They are our friends. And it's the people who accept the lie that there's just anything in the created order. The ones who diminish the fact that God Almighty The creator is making everything sacred all the time. Those are the people that you need to stand up to. There's no such thing as just. You want to talk about Genesis, let me wrap this up today with this. You want to hear what Genesis still means in a world where your kids are learning about evolution and they're learning about non-seven-day creation? Here's what Genesis still gets to mean. Your life is in chaos. The next time that happens, be reminded that there is a God who walked into the middle of that chaos and said, let's separate light and dark. Let's give it order. Let's separate sky from land. Let's give it order. Let's create life. Let's breathe into the dust, the breath of life, and create humans. And on every single turn of it, what does God say about it? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. next time your life is in chaos, remind yourself of what Genesis 1 says. But then also remind yourself of the rest of the creation stories of Genesis. Because we get stuck fighting about a seven day creation and forget that there are chapters upon chapters in Genesis about creation. From Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to the Tower of Babel and yes to Noah, God is also revealing to us that something went very wrong with the created order. And in Noah, we get God saying through that story, come hell or high water, I'm going to save it. And I, I just said it, come hell or high water. Noah, high water. But understand that all those stories together are the beginning, so switch it around. Noah is a story about the high water. The Apostles' Creed is about the hell. Right? Let me read to you again. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Why did he do that for you? Because even way back at Noah, when that rainbow stood up in the sky, he said, come hell or high water, I'm going to save my very good creation. And by the time you look at that rainbow, God also says and I'll do it, because they can't. And then there's still hell and there's still high water, but someone else gets it, not us. The next time you worry about your kids learning about science through the eyes of those who are passionate about general revelation, just remind yourself, this is still your story. And you can still be passionate about it. As Christians, we need to make friends and lay down our weapons and make sure that we remember that everyone is saying yes to a destiny of their passion for the hand of God, even when they don't know that's the language, even when they're slicing the pie a different way. They are not our enemies. And the God who is the creator created all of them. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. The church in Rome needed to learn that lesson. We still have to learn it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you yet again for being the creator of all things. And in all things we live and move and have our being in you. So God, remind us that it is not just a rainbow, but it is a promise that come hell or high water, you're going to make sure that we, your very good creation, all of us, red, yellow, black, and white, are going to be able to be with you. Help us in this life to be with each other, to lay down our weapons, and to find the places where we are all passionately seeking your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing our next hymn, Be Thou My Vision. It's number 468.